Amen. Thank you, Tim. So, opening my box and my Bible. Good evening. Um, so, it's a pleasure to be here tonight, and I'm going to do the reading. And please excuse me if I'm staring at this page, but it's very small print, and I need a new prescription in my glasses, as I've heard yesterday. So, <laughs> let's see how this goes, all right? Um, the reading today is from Exodus. Chapter 13, beginning at verse 17, and then we move on into chapter 14, right up to verse 18. Right, here we go. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Thus, the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel uh, swear to this. He said, God will certainly come to help you. And when he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. The Israelites left Sakoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud and provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Fiham Rod, between Migdol and the sea. Camp there along the shore, across from Baal Zephon. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They're trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. And when word reached the king of Egypt, then the Israelites had fled. That the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away? They asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fists raised in, defense, in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots and charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore across Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here in, uh, to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? 
We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians uh, you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the waters so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them all, Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Wow. This is better than any sort of tense thriller, I think, you know. Quite amazing. This is the people of Israel. And you must imagine they've been now in Egypt for quite some time. And they have been there in the beginning as people who have been welcomed into the country. And they've made their home there. They've raised cattle and, and families. And, you know, they've been really rooted in this, in this country. And suddenly... Everything turns against them. The Pharaoh doesn't even remember what caused the Israelites to arrive in Egypt. It's a new Pharaoh, a new, new regime. And uh, so he's really turning hard against them, enslaving them. They have to work hard for their living. And they are enslaved. They can't even choose to work or not to work. They have to make these uh, bricks out of mud and straw. And the Pharaoh sees them one day and says, I think we need to make them work even harder. And they, you know, we provide the straw and for them to make the mud. Now we're going to make them to collect the straw as well, to cut it and make the same amount of bricks as before. So raising the targets, just like you might find at your workplace sometimes, you know, you think, oh, I've just managed to reach the target, and then the boss says, well, if you managed last year, well, why don't we raise it for next year? So, similar scenario, just worse. And in the middle of this time of enslavement, you know, Moses arrives and says to the people, I'm going to lead you out of here. And he does this call to freedom by saying, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, and he says this to Pharaoh, let my people go so they can worship me. And I want you to hear this tonight as a call. The call to freedom is the call to worship God. And the word for worship is also to serve. So the call out of slavery is a call to worship God, is a call to serve God, not to serve the Egyptian Pharaoh, the slave driver. So the call to freedom is the call to worship, and the call to worship is also the call to freedom. So when you come on a Sunday, for example, this is not just a gathering around singing songs. This is a gathering around agreeing with God and serving Him. And we also sing songs and worship Him through song, but we worship Him also by looking out for one another, by serving one another, and by serving God. And so this call out of slavery is this call to serve our God in heaven. And the story of the Exodus is Israel's story, but also in many ways it's a story of, for all of humanity. 
You might say to me, well, I've never been enslaved. And I would say, well, probably not like the Israelites, but you have been enslaved in a different way. We all have. Jesus makes it very clear in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But we have never been slaves to anyone, said the disciples. What do you mean you will be set free? And Jesus replies, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent uh, member of the family, but the son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. So Jesus has a very clear view of slavery. That is what you serve. Also in Romans, we read the same thing. You know, Paul had the same idea about slavery and sin. He writes in Romans uh, chapter 6, you know, even from verse 5 to 16, you you can read it. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. So you realize that, you know, walking outside of what God has planned for you is missing the mark, is missing what God has for you, and therefore missing the mark means to sin, to not be in the right place, not to be in God's order of what things are supposed to be like. And that can show itself in our relationships with each other, of course. So authority is established, therefore, by obedience. So whatever we habitually obey, thereby possesses a binding authority over our minds. You can imagine how these guys in Egypt had, like, chains, you know, just wrapped around them. And they were restricted by these chains. You know, they couldn't move as freely. They couldn't lift their hands and worship, maybe not very easily, you know. They had them around their, their legs and shackled like this. And, you know, to work like this is hard. But these restrictions are there. And I remember when we got married first, uh, well, my, my brother-in-law, <laughs> it was the, the um, stag night. So he got a chain and and concreted it into a football, you know, filled a football with concrete, put a chain in, and put it around my leg. I had no idea what that meant. You know, what is he trying to tell me? You know, marrying your sister is like a ball and chain. It isn't. I tell you this much. Thirty years later, I can testify. Um, you know, it certainly isn't like that. But he obviously thought, you know, marriage and you know, joke and ha ha, and so he chained me to this ball, and I was in in the pub with this ball around my my leg, and it was very restricting. It was really hard to walk with this thing. I had to lift it up, and it wasn't light, you know, in order to move around. They threw me in a river later on (laughs) that day. (laughs) And thankfully, they'd taken the ball and chain off by then. (laughs) But, But, you know, to be restricted is really, really difficult to live, you know, with, with these restrictions. And so when, when the people of Israel were led out of Egypt, 
God had taken the chains and let them drop. You know, that is the sound of freedom for them. And they were free, but they still behaved as if they had the same restrictions on them. It's much harder to be mentally free compared to be physically free, if you know what I mean. So if you, if you imagine you've been restricted to an arm movement like this for years and years and years, and now somebody takes the chains off, it's probably going to be hard to move your, your arms further, further up, just for a few more years maybe, and you would have to practice. And so it's really important that we understand that even though the Israelites are being called to move out of slavery into freedom, it wasn't a walk in the park for them. As soon as they saw the Pharaoh again with all his army, all this fear of being a slave came back on them, and they started panicking, which is understandable. But it's, it's a bit bizarre, this scene, because there is the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud protecting them right there. And they see the presence of God, and yet they see the Pharaoh and his armies, those forces that enslaved them, and that sets this emotional reaction of, I can't move beyond my restriction. I am frozen. And, you know, Moses' reaction to this was, was quite hilarious, really, because he says, don't be afraid. Now, if you're afraid and somebody tells you, don't be afraid, does that help you in that moment? If all, you know, everything in you is kind of turning and twisting and in emotional turmoil, don't be afraid, just stand still. Now the fight and flight reflex, you know, is, is something that probably kicks in and all you want to do is run and not sit still. But this is something God is calling the people to and is, he's drawing them out of this mentality of being enslaved and restricted and he wants them to be free to worship him and serve him and to see him for who he is. So don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The slave mentality is really hard to get rid of. Now if you, if you want to tame an, a baby elephant, what people are usually doing is they take a bit of rope and they bind the two legs together of the elephant, back legs, and then put the rope on, on a stake in the ground and tie the elephant to that stake. And you will find that the elephant will not be able to move from that spot. But as the elephant grows up to a large and strong animal, what will happen is, at that point, is that the elephant will still be bound just by a rope, even though he's strong enough to pull it out. Just his memory of being entrapped and, and restricted will stop him to do so. So even though he's got the strength and the ability to rip loose, he will not do it. So you will still be able to hold an elephant just by a tiny rope. And this is something that I think this slave mentality does to, to us as human beings as well. So even though the elephant has given authority to the rope, you see, authority is something that is being given. The elephant has given authority to the rope by obeying its restrictions. And so we are inclined as human beings to give authority to certain things that restrict us as we obey them habitually. 
and therefore restrict ourselves. If you're a teacher and you're in a class and you've got a, a, a rowdy bunch, a good teacher will know how to engage with the children, that the children will give the teacher authority. It's not the authority that the teacher has as they go in. It's, it's something that the children give to the teacher as they obey habitually to the small commandments right from the start. And so authority is always something you give to something by obeying out of habit. So what are you giving authority to? What do you habitually obey? Think about that for a minute. Marshall writes, if you want the word of God to have authority in your life, there is only one way, obey it. If you want the Holy Spirit to have authority in your life, there's only one way, obey him. However, if you obey impulses of fear or doubt or resentment, what will have authority over your minds? Of course, fear, doubts, and resentments. So the ball is in, in our hands. Slavery to sin is being locked into the scandals of this world, into the machinery of what is happening. It's quite interesting, you know. They go through this amazing experience of walking through the Red Sea and the waters part. And what you will see is Moses obeying God. God says to Moses, you will part the sea by handing out the stick. Now, who is actually parting the waters here? Who is it? Is it God or is it Moses? Who is it? <laughs> Goses. <laughs> if I mix the two responses here. Yeah, it's not so hard to, to define who, who it actually is, is it? But if you look in the Word of God, you know, it, God says, the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea onto dry ground. I'm, I'm sure that Moses didn't visit a course on how to split the sea. How to divide the waters, 101, you know, little course with God, and you know, this is how you do it. He was simply obeying an order saying, I'm going to raise my stick, this is what God said, and I'm commanding the waters to, to split. Now, of course, we read later on that it was God that brought the wind that split the sea. So you were both right, those who said it was Moses and those who said it was God. But it is God who loves to work together and who's ordained humanity to you know, walk in authority on this earth to actually make things happen. So he's placed us as stewards over his creation. And Moses is literally just living his destiny by picking up the stick and obeying God and doing exactly what he was supposed to do. And I think as you are thinking about walking free and into freedom, walking in freedom is always walking in agreement with God. Simple as. So if you find something in your life that isn't in agreement with God, the first thing you've got to do is start habitually obeying what God says. And then you will give authority to God over your life. 
And then things start to change, not just outwardly, but also inwardly. You see, forgiveness plays a huge role in this process. Because unforgiveness means that we will be defined by the evil done to us. It means that we kind of harper back to the days where someone did something and therefore the circumstances were created around the way that I respond to it and therefore I've got a good reason for being enslaved. So I'm just clinging on to the rope or to the chain, almost like a security blanket. It's no wonder, God, that I, I am restricted in my life. See what they've done to me? Do you hear any of that in Jesus' mouth? As he's walking across this, uh, this earth, being uh, punched by people, being uh, you know, left by his best friends. He's not turning around saying, did you see what Peter did around the fire and how he just denied me three times? What a friend he is, and now I'm supposed to die for him on the cross? I, I don't want to do that. I don't see that kind of reaction in God or in Jesus whatsoever. So it's important that we figure out how not just to become free, because the cross makes it very clear. You see, if you think about the way that God led his people through the waters, now they came through the waters out on the other side, and then they walked through the wilderness towards the promised land, and they could have been in the promised land very quickly, but they had to walk around for 40 years get rid of that slave mentality. They weren't ready to enter into the promised land yet. And you know, every time they came across an obstacle or a diff difficult circumstance, for example, like no food, no water to drink, they started complaining and they started you know, going, God, shouldn't we be better in Egypt? We had something to eat there and so on. And you can see the slave mentality always drew them back to Egypt, how great it was in Egypt. But God was gently leading them out of that mentality and giving them manna to eat, you know, showing them miracles, you know, meat landing right in front of their tents and they had something and they, God was training them saying, look, I'm your father, I'm there for you, you don't need to grab life, I'm providing for you, you can be receivers of life. And they, as they learned this, as they walked step by step into freedom, they came again to a river, the river Jordan. And this time it was Joshua's turn to lead the people through the river. And, and he didn't think, oh, let me think, how did Moses do it? Where's the stick? Oh, yes, he held it at this angle over the river and then it, it parted. No, he, he camped for three days, asked God, you know, how shall we cross this thing? And that by this stage they had a whole box full it was called the Ark, a, full, a box full of a testimony and story of what God was like. It contained, uh, you know, the tablets with the Ten Commandments, the covenant that God had cut with the people. It had a, a stick in there with little buds that was talking about God's faithfulness. They had a, a jar full of manna in there which they kept in there as a, as a memory of how God provided for them food in, in times of need. And this was their personal testimony of what God could do in their lives. And, and Joshua said to the Levites, take this box into the middle of the river 
And then the water split, runs off this way, the rest sort of piles up further up the stream, and they walk through the river on dry foot. But this time, with knowing who they are as a nation, as a covenant people of God. Later on, we find John the Baptist standing in the same waters, baptizing people, again, through the waters. And it's interesting how Paul picks this up in chapter 6 in Romans, and he's talking about the fact that, let me just quickly read it uh, for you, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. He's talking about the waters of baptism here. You know, die with Christ and be raised with Christ. The old baptism formula. Uh, we will also be raised to life as he was. And we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives and we are no longer slaves to sin. So you see, it's through the waters that you will leave behind what was binding you. And now you become this new creation. And what is Paul is saying is now you've got to train your mind. You've got to renew your mind. You've got to see yourself differently. You're no longer slaves. You're now a son and a daughter of the living God. See, obedience is easily given to things we desire. True? I think so. You know, you, this is how it starts. You desire something, and then you go, oh yeah, I'll do that. So you obey it. And then you give it authority, and soon it enslaves. Jesus finds this, uh, i just give you one example, you know, the desire for greatness. Is that a desire sometimes? Can be. You know, you've got to be great, you've got to be better, you've got to grow. Everything needs to grow, the church needs to grow, your business needs to grow, you need to be better. Competition, you know, this is something we're used to in our society. But if you look in Mark chapter 9, there is something that the disciples struggle with. Chapter 9 verse, uh, what is that? 33. After they arrived at Capernaum, they settled in a house and Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Is it me? Is it you? Who can sit next to Jesus on the throne up in heaven? And he sat down, called the twelve disciples over to him, and said, whoever wants to be first must take the last place and be the servant of everyone else. Then he put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. So one of the least, one of the little ones became his object lesson and saying, look, if you want to be great, become a child, become one of these voiceless people. The antidote to this kind of desire to be great and to be in competition that is present among the disciples in their desire for greatness is the learning to recast their desire in terms of seeking out and receiving the unimportant like children. 
Jesus is saying, look for the unimportant ones, not for the important ones. When you come to a party, don't sit in the front row. Don't try and be at the head table. Just seek the unimportant. Don't just talk to the people where you think that you can you know, gain something from by rubbing shoulders with the rich and famous, but seek out those nobody wants to talk to. Why is Jesus doing that? Because that's the kingdom of God. And entry into the kingdom is the same as recasting of that desire. See, it always starts with a desire, then it moves to obedience to whatever that thing is, and then we give it authority and suddenly we are back in chains. And that's how it always works. And God is saying, look, the cross has set you guys free, the chains are gone, but now your mentality needs to change too. You need to live like a son, not like a slave. And a son doesn't seek greatness. The son is great enough to seek those who are unimportant. This, the, the, the daughter is great enough to say, you know, I'm going to visit those who nobody wants to visit. I'm going to invite those who probably won't invite me back. And Jesus is showing how we need to live in his kingdom. You see the connection between desire, obedience, authority, and slavery? Do you see how it links up? Desire evokes obedience by which we give authority to the desire we obey. And soon we can become enslaved by this desire. Now, how do you recast desire? If you have got a, a rowdy bunch of kids playing on the playground and it's getting evening time and you think it's time to go to bed, come on kids, let's go home. And your little Freddy, you know, he just doesn't want to hear your call. You know, you go, Freddy, time to go home. And he doesn't seem to listen. So what do you do? You say, you know, you can be moral about it, you can be religious about it and say, well, if you don't obey me, you won't get the ice cream later on, you know. And this is what the moral law easily does to the church. Behave right and you get to heaven one day. But what you want to do is recast desire and get heaven into that kid, don't you? <laughs> it's much better. So, so what you need to do is this little parenting tip. You know, take it from me. Um, so what, what you best do is you take the nicest ice cream with you on the playground and say, Freddy, and then you open the wrapper and you pop in the flake. <laughs> and you say, ice cream, I'm going home. <laughs> and you refocus that desire. And very quickly you will find little Freddy coming to you. Why? Because he's seen something better than he's attached to. And this is what happens when you renew your mind in the kingdom of God. You are refocusing your desire onto the greater prize. Jesus talks you know, about the great pearl of price. And somebody who had you know, everything he wanted in life, but suddenly he finds this pearl of the kingdom of God and is so excited about it that he sells everything he's got. You know, even, I don't know, even his Austin Martin and you know, whatever he's got just to get that pearl, refocusing of desire. And by digging out this pearl and selling everything else, he's refocused, but he's also starting to obey and give authority to that newly found kingdom. And that's setting him free from the slavery that he's been in. 
A really good example, and I'll finish uh, by just turning to um, Colossians, a bit of Bible jogging today. So, Colossians chapter 3. This is talking about this refocusing of desire. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. And then he gives a whole list of what that might be. But you see, in Colossians, Paul, what he's saying is live with your head in the clouds and with your feet on the earth. Know who you are in Christ and walk like it. And as, you, as you're firmly rooted on the earth, know that heaven is so much impacting who you are that you live that freedom and that you don't even feel those restrictions anymore. That you're not even being able to be tied down by a little rope or by a chain, but that you can actually walk free and move free from all restrictions and give yourself the full space that God has given you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your kindness that you lead us out of the slavery of sin through the waters of baptism and that you have made us sons and daughters of the living God, free to connect to you and to agree with you and to walk in obedience. And Father, I pray that you will help us to recognize where we have been restricted in our walk on this earth, where we have picked up security blankets along the way that we will, f that we will cling to, especially when we are challenged. Father, whether it's uh, addictions, whether it's um, just wrong motives, whether it's competition or just wanting to be great, whether it's a desire just to be recognized, whether it's this deep desire for significance. God, whatever it is that we cling to, I pray that you help us to understand that when you died on the cross, you dealt with our sin, and now the cross is dealing with those structures that lead us astray in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you help us to understand that you have freed us from those chains. Help us to identify what those ropes are that used to be around our ankles and hands. <coughs> Maybe you can just uh, rest for a second and, and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if there's anything that you can actually name that is restricting you where you don't feel free before Almighty God. Just in the silence of your heart, just ask Holy Spirit, reveal it to me.
And now take what you have in your mind and offer it up to God in confession. Just in the silence of your heart, you can confess to him and say, Lord, this or this has restricted me. I have obeyed these things, given authority to them. Please recast my desire. I want to have my head in heaven. I want to have the broader view of your kingdom. I want to understand who you made me to be. And I agree with you that this is not who I am, but I am found in Christ. And therefore I'm free. And therefore I do not obey these things any longer. I let go. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are in my heart and that you have made me your son and your daughter to be free from all of those things. I agree with you. I connect to you. And I worship you. Amen.